Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for another day just to be alive, to be able to do this thing, to bring you glory, to uh, gather together and concentrate on your word in the unity of the faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us not take this for granted, Father. This is a privilege always, especially in our free country that you blessed us with. Uh, we ask at this time of year also that you bless our country, our nation, our leaders, etc., and that you use us for your glory before your return. Father, we ask your blessing to be upon this message. We ask that you guide us and teach us by your spirit. And we ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, there's just something about his name, part two. I really uh, love the topic and the title. Um, there are so many verses that point to this truth, which, again, it's truly a su supernatural truth that his name could mean so much or his name could issue so much power to somebody. But uh, it is a supernatural truth, which doesn't make sense to our rational minds. As we began this series on Sunday, uh, diving into the power of the name of Jesus, the Spirit gave us a transition, a review of a couple of key passages from our last series on the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And he led me to review these again because they're so powerful and important to our spiritual lives. They really are. The first one on the board is 2 Corinthians 11, 3b, the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. There's almost nothing to say on this passage. It's almost better that we, we, itch, we just sit there and take it in, try to, try to absorb it. What does that mean? You know, it's almost too easy. You don't want don't to simplify it too much, but let it, let it be personal to you. Uh, what, what does this mean? What does God want out of me? And when you think of pure devotion, I was thinking about this earlier, when you're truly devoted to someone or something, you really don't let anything else get in the way of that devotion. Nothing. You'll cut whatever out you need to cut out. You'll rearrange your schedule, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there's an example of maybe something to think about when you're talking about devotion to Christ. If you really are devoted... It's simple. You know, not the world stuff doesn't get in the way. You don't allow it to complicate. But anyhow, so much for not saying much on that verse, huh? But it's so important. It's so huge as what the Lord is looking for from us. And then we saw, saw our Lord's own words in John 14. Turn to John 14 again. Where he reveals the way to intimacy and experiencing peace with him and the Father. This is probably one of the most uh, intimate passages in the whole of Scripture. John 14, 21. Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. That's just a lot. And what a promise that is as well. Ultimately, isn't this what we all want? 
to discover a personal relationship with God, to experience His love and intimacy for us, supernaturally. Isn't it what we want to just have no more doubts? <laughs> you know, like ever. Stop carrying around doubts in our soul. To have total confidence and peace in God's love. So much so that we can like seal it and uh, see it, seal it, see it and touch it, so to speak. To have so much confidence and peace in God's love. Isn't that what we all desire? Like, isn't that what we, we want to experience? And so this is the promise. Again, in verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now, uh, the spirit led pastor to just give us a little context on this passage regarding the Jewish context of this passage uh, before we read on. Because sanctification for Jewish disciples during Jesus's incarnation would have included having to be delivered from their false hope and therefore false sense of peace. They were looking for a publicly heralded king to rule and represent them before the rest of the world. So keep that in context. That's what's going on here as we get to the next verse. Uh, a little bit more on the board. The Jews had false expectations, therefore a false hope and a false sense of peace. Jesus had to explain to them that his kingdom was, in essence, spiritual. And what the Lord basically had to teach them was that all this intimacy would be realized by personal faith in the love of God. Uh, Jesus said in verse 21, not everyone's going to get this intimacy. I can't disclose myself to everyone. I won't unless they love me. In other words, unless they want it. You know, unless you desire the things of God. So, on the board here, before I almost jump ahead too much, faith alone is what establishes intimacy with Jesus. Faith alone is what establishes intimacy with Jesus. And then Pastor also said on Sunday, this is the core value upon which all wisdom is based. That's a serious statement. So I figured I'd put it up there. Faith alone is what establishes intimacy with Jesus. This is the core value upon which all wisdom is based. You can't get into intimacy with Jesus by a works program. You can't earn your way. You can't strive. It's only by faith, right? By grace through faith. Does he allow the doors to be opened to him? It's trusting him that opens all the doors. So hold your thumb and go to uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Hold your thumb in uh, John 14. Go to Hebrews 11, 6. So just as a reminder, seeing the point on the board, Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Pretty simple and pretty impossible to please God without this thing called faith. That's where we get intimate with God. 
on the board. Being close to Jesus is a function of obeying and abiding in the Word of God by faith. By faith. And if you lack faith, ask for more, as we've seen over and over. Rely on God to come through, as He promises to do for those who seek Him. Again, by, uh, being close to Jesus is a function of obeying and abiding in the Word of God by faith. So go back to John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Remember our Jewish context, right? He thought Jesus was going to rule the world. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. I mean, if you look at verse 23, Jesus basically repeated himself from verse 21. The same principles. So that's the way to intimacy. On the board, humility and obedience, these are requisite features of faith that establish true intimacy with Jesus and his Father. Look at uh, verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And then, like a capstone verse in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So here's the string of pearls the Spirit gave us as we uh, rounded up the series on the peaceful fruit of righteousness again. The humble, first of all, seek the Word, also known as Jesus himself. When they find it, they obey it because they're humble. God helps with discipline because we're not always humble. Then that obedience leads to righteousness, orientation to God's will. And righteousness leads to peace, resultant fruit. So it's a beautiful, almost like process that God has designed for us to walk in. This illustrates the way to intimacy and peace that God wants for us, but we have to choose to stay out of the way. We jump in the way, we get out of the way. We jump in the way, we get out of the way, right? We give it to God, we take it back from God. Oh no, God, I trust you're going to handle this for me. The next day we take it back. We try to solve it ourselves. We have to stay out of the way to allow this intimacy to uh, take root and this peace, to actually live in and experience this peace. That's one reason we need the Word of God flowing in our souls every single day. Otherwise, you have no power. You have no spiritual power without the Word. And what happens is, on the board, we lose experiential peace. When we allow the flesh to dominate our perspective, as in Romans 8, 6, 
when we stop rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, as in 1 Thessalonians 5, and when we try to architect our own peace in Romans 5. We've seen these verses several times now. But this is when we lose peace in our lives, in our walk. And we've also seen we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not on ourselves, not on our flesh, you know, not on our own plan of peace, our own strategy to gain peace in this life. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus in Hebrews 12 too. He himself is the cure for our hurting souls, our, our thirsty souls. And what I love about the Word of God, you know, it just cuts to the chase. And on the board, here's an example of that in Ephesians 2.14a. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. And that's a mystery. To understand this is, is supernatural. He is our peace. So when we believe that, uh, when we look at him this way, like without him, his very person, we can't have peace, then our eyes are focused on him correctly, fixed, if you will. And now by the grace of God, we know how we can experience this intimacy with him through our recent lessons. I want to share another point on this that the Spirit lavished on me yesterday. And let me encourage you, if you're not spending any pure, quiet time alone with the Lord each day, like even just five or ten minutes talking to him, you know, looking out the window, whatever spot in your house maybe you have that you can have quiet time. And I mean like no devices. Shut your phone off for 10 minutes. I mean true alone time where you're not thinking about someone else in the house or, or answering the phone, right? If you're not spending that time with him and talking to him each day, you're missing out. And that's all I can say. Because he wants to communicate you, with you um, not only intimately but personally. But when we're not listening, we're not going to catch his message. So anyway, this was something very personal that he gave me the other day. Um, on the board, we also lose our peace when we forget or don't believe that God is good. And just be honest with yourself in your own soul, you know. Is this you? At times it was me. The questioning and doubting me. We lose our peace when we forget or don't believe that God is good. Uh, go to uh, Psalm 107, verse 1. And God just showed me in a very personal way that He is good. And uh, it wasn't through physical blessings. It was just through a personal um, message, communication. He has his ways and he knows how to uh, reach each one of us if we're listening. Psalm 107, 1 through 2a. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How good your life is at the current moment, or how good you think it is or it isn't, that never changes the fact that God is good. It doesn't ever, ever change Him or who He is. 
And that shouldn't even reflect on our thoughts about God or our opinion about God in our soul. That shouldn't even affect that, our daily life or what's happening in our life right now. That never changes the fact that God is good, period. All good things come from our Heavenly Father above, right? All good things come from our Heavenly Father above, the Father of lights. Hold your thumb in Psalm 107 and go to James 117. James 117. An old familiar friend, but just worth seeing again. We must never doubt that God is good. That's what Satan's whispering in our ears, that, that, he, that he isn't good or does he really love you, that kind of stuff. James 1.17 Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. One of those good, good things that the Father has given is you, your life, your soul, as we see in the next verse. Never forget we've been made in the image of God. Look at verse 18. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. He brought us forth. Who brought us forth? The Father of lights from whom every good thing is given. So if you let life circumstances affect your faith in God being good, you're going to lose your peace for sure. You're listening to the whisperer, the lies of Satan. God is always good. If there are bad things in your life, blame the appropriate sources, such as sin and Satan and his world system which are evil, right? Blame the right things or the right people. Don't blame God when things aren't quote-unquote good. Whenever we have something to legitimately complain about, we can trace it to uh, one of these three culprits, sin, Satan, or the world system. But God never changes. He's always good, and He always has some, some good in mind for us, especially in the end, as in Romans 8.28. So go back to Psalm 107, verse 1. Psalm 107, 1. One more read of this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Loving kindness, I love that word too. It describes God so well. And if you remember in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and love is kind. And this is really the Old Testament word for grace. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The Spirit's been telling us we really should never lose our peace if we keep the right perspective. For example, God is a God of grace and loving kindness, and He's for me and not against me now that I've accepted Christ. And then there's this one on the board, as far as perspective. I am saved. We really should never lose our peace, technically. You know, we really should never lose it if we have the right perspective on the board with us every day. 
I've been granted eternal life. Is there really anything else to worry about in this life? I mean, seriously, we still have to deal with life and problems and difficulties, but compared to this on the board, we should have peace through it all. You could be deathly ill or in a difficult life situation or battling family members even who hate Christ. But if you step back and look at the big picture, you see that God loves you so much that he died for you and he saved you even knowing all your sins. Think about that. Some of you, if you knew all my sins, you wouldn't talk to me and vice versa. If we knew each other's sins, we wouldn't even, we wouldn't even be like, we'd be like, oh, I don't want to be friends with them, right? And we'd start judging and etc. God knew all of them for our whole lives and still reached out to us and died for us out of love. Crazy. So really, we should maintain his peace at all times because of these three words on the board. That's been the Spirit's message for a while now. And hopefully they're not only on the board, but they're embedded in your heart and your soul. Along with three other words that might help with that perspective on the board. God is good. God is good. It's so simple, right? Simple, pure devotion to Christ. These are truths that we can't let escape our faith. Because this is where peace comes from. This is what God has in mind for us. And when we lose them, we're listening to the whisper, like the serpent in the garden. Then the Spirit gave us a power-packed verse to consider. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. He's been trying to strengthen our hope within us. And you could read this verse over and over and you'll just get more and more out of it because it's deep. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see God's desire for us, for his children? He wants his children to abound in hope. That means overflowing that's how he wants us to live. That's how we should live as children of God. It's almost like God is saying here, if you allow me to, I'll do it. Will you let me in? Will you trust that I'm good and I want to fill you with all hope overflowing? And I am the hope, Jesus would say. I am the peace, Jesus would say. Will you, will you allow me to fill you? It is a free will, surrender, issue of the heart. Again, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this includes believing that God is good. As pastor has taught us, this verse describes sanctification in a nutshell. Our problem is we don't keep it simple and pure. We taint it with our sinful ways, mainly our pride. Our flesh always wants to take the wheel and be in control. But our own ways to finding hope produce the following on the board. A turbulent fruit of unrighteousness. 
A person who demands that they deliver themselves unto their own salvation will never have peace. A person who attempts to sanctify his or herself is living in what only can be called futility. And this is why surrender is such a key part of sanctification. You can't sanctify yourself. You can't be good enough on your own. You can't figure out things on your own, how to find peace and uh, contentment and purpose in life. You can't. And we know that's futility. Those of you in the, in the room or who are regular listeners, you, you know from the Word of God that's futility. So why do we do it anyway? Crazy. But I think it's pride. We've got to get out of the driver's seat and stop thinking we're in control. We're really not anyway, right? As we've been learn, learning for a while. When we think about the peaceful fruit of righteousness, we ought to think about sanctification. And this came out on Sunday as well. And I put this on the board for you uh, from Pastor's Notes. It was not on the board, but worth uh, contemplating and looking at. Sanctification, by definition, implies salvation and deliverance. Not just one phase either. Therefore, if we want the fruit of sanctification, namely peace, we must grab hold of salvation itself. Grab hold of salvation itself. Now, some of you are saying, well, I've already grabbed hold of it. I did that on May 4th, 1972, right? Uh, as we've been learning, <laughs> that's great. But God wants you to grab hold of salvation every day, to celebrate every day that you're saved. And that's what gives us the um, power and the peace to, to walk through the devil's world and be undisturbed, really, in our souls. Pastor likes to use the phrase living in the gospel reality. Living in the gospel reality. Living in the reality that you're saved and you're already promoted to be with the Lord. You're already seated with God or with Jesus at His right hand. In Ephesians 2, I think it is. You're already seated there. So that's the thing, that faith, again, back to faith, in that truth, every day that you grab hold of, that gives you the power to walk by faith and be sanctified. Let God sanctify you. To have a living and active faith in your salvation. It's almost too simple, right? But that's a good sign, isn't it? that we're on the right track, back to the faith of a child. On the board, the minute we lose appreciation of the simple truths in our lives, for example, that God saved us and that God is good, we lose the pure perspective needed to bring us to sanctification. That's pretty much what I get out of Sunday. The minute we lose appreciation of the simple truths in our lives, like I'm saved, uh, like God is good, always, all the time. It has nothing to do with me or my experience even. He's good. I know He's good. If you lose those uh, simple truths or appreciating those, you lose the pure perspective needed to bring you to sanctification, to allow God to take you. How? How? What's the way? By faith. 
Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And as Psalm 107 said, let the redeemed say so. You're the redeemed. If you've trusted in Christ, you're the redeemed. You've been redeemed. You've been snatched from the fire. You've been purchased out of the slave market of sin. You're the redeemed. And Psalm 107 says, well, say so. Why are you holding back? And you might say this every day to yourself, these two things even on the board, to yourself and to others. I'm saved and God is good. I'm saved and God is good. And you do that, that type of thing by faith, you'll be in a very good place spiritually and you'll experience sanctification. Now, don't just be a robot reciting these two things a hundred times straight, you know. Obviously, God doesn't want that. But by dwelling on these things in your heart and asking the Lord to reveal these truths to you in your own soul, like personally, show me what this means. Help me. You know me, Lord. I'm thick-headed. Help me understand what this means more today. I want more today. And by us dwelling on these things, we allow God, we, we uh, by free will, we open the door and say, please, just change me. All right, sanctify me. I want to experience more of your peace. And what also came out on Sunday is when we begin to rest wholly on the precious truths of God's salvation. And I loved that wording, to rest wholly on it, completely on the precious truths of our salvation, like being redeemed. Not only are we blessed with deliverance and peace in our daily walk, but we also believe the love that God has for us and that it was His pure love that motivated Him to save us. These are the things that give us spiritual energy, um, spiritual power. Again, it's back to faith. When you know God loves you, when, you, when you're convinced that God, lo God loves you, you walk differently that day than on the days that you fall into doubt or questioning. Right? I mean, we can all relate to that. That's what God has for us. A wonderful walk. But unless we keep it simple, it's not going to be a wonderful walk. Turn your Bibles to 1 John 4.16. 1 John 4.16. We've got to believe the love God has for us. We get to believe that God is good. 1 John 4, 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Such is the pathway to peace, my friends. Having faith in God's love and goodness. Instead of doubting God, we must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. It's back to faith. So on the board, sanctification in a nutshell, the only perspective we can have that delivers us unto His peace is to fully apprehend His salvation. We've seen that many times. But that's the way. It's simple. It's living in the gospel reality living in the truth of your position in Christ. 
Do you remember the principle about experiencing your position? Sanctification is experiencing the position you already have in Christ. It's living it out, and we can't do that without faith. So it's then on Sunday that we started focusing on our message title and the sovereignty of God. And this quote on the board was a trigger for pastor to start this new series from the book Why Jesus by Ravi Zacharias. Access to an abstract power gives you no one to be grateful to in times of blessing and no one to question and receive comfort from in times of sorrow. The key words there are abstract power. He was talking about belief in a higher power, that, that people that wouldn't give God his name, call him by name. And there are many self-help programs out there that refuse to use the name of God, even though they want some supernatural help. Many in the world today call upon the universe, believe it or not. They call upon the universe as the power out there. And a lot of people, when we ask them, I know when I ask some people, where do you think you go when you die? I believe I just go back out into the universe and I, my power goes back into its power and somehow I'm one with the universe. This is what's really going on in young people's souls right now. So you know. Even well-intentioned programs in the world won't reach out to the God of this universe. They won't call him by name. And Pastor made the point on Sunday that he's not judging anyone involved in these types of programs, such as AA. But he wanted to make it clear that their glaring weakness is that they don't give credit to God. From a spiritual point of view on the board, regarding social assistance programs. Any program that integrates a nebulous higher power into its curriculum isn't calling on the power of God. Rather, it is keeping him purposely nameless as a mere contributor. These are self-help programs with a little help from friends. And we saw 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, Philippians 4, 13, Romans 12, 2, Isaiah 41, 10, Galatians 5, uh, 2, 20, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and Matthew 6, 33. Um, if you're into the Word of God, you know that self-help is not the way to go. That self is, frankly, unable. It's only when we abandon self and we abandon trying to fix ourselves and instead we surrender to Christ that we can get or receive divine power and divine help. So we're going to look at these verses again. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3.16. If someone needs to shut their phone off, feel free. I think I heard a vibrating thingamajig. And Don, is it okay if we put the fans up a little higher? Is that all right? All right. I know it's hot up here. I don't know about down there. We shut the AC off, but maybe we shouldn't. Have. I don't know. Tough day. Thank you, Don. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Notice in verse sixteen. Scripture, the Word of God, is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
like how to do things right, namely God's way. But the social assistance programs don't want to submit to the word for training. They want to come up with their own answers. On the board, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Notice it's through him, a person. It's faith in him, in Jesus' person, that gives us strength and hope and power, even by his name. Again, we can't explain that, but it happens. It happens in life when we walk by faith in his name. It's knowing that the Lord, as a person, is there for you and has your back. That faith allows a person to receive his power in their life and his peace. Go to Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2. Anyone got one of those oriental fans with them or something like that? Those things work good. <laughs> All right, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So notice, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Believing verses like Isaiah uh, 41.10. Go there, Isaiah 41.10. Believing verses like this are what truly set, sets us free. Isaiah 41.10. Notice, notice in these verses the personal nature of God. He's being very personal to us, even though we don't deserve it. He's being very personal and very gracious to us. Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Not a higher power. Okay? Not the universe. <laughs> Do not fear, for I am with you, God says. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's not just some nebulous power in the universe. It's the Lord God. And He has His hand in our lives. He has His hand, personal, right? Active in our lives. It is not an abstract power, as Zacharias said. Turn to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. Again, look for the personal nature of God here. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in who? The Son of God, a person who loved me and gave himself up for me. Doesn't that make all the difference in the world? 
go to Proverbs 3, verse 5. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. How many of us do that when we try to solve our problems? Lean on our own understanding, relying on self-help. It says, do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. There's a person there a faithful person, and he will make your paths straight. Again, the point on the board regarding social assistance programs, any program that integrates a nebulous higher power into its curriculum isn't calling on the power of God. Rather, it's keeping him purposely nameless as a mere contributor. These are self-help programs with a little help from friends. One verse we didn't get to on Sunday was Matthew 6.33. Go there. Matthew 6.33. You've got to ask yourself why these programs want to keep the name of God out of it. Even forget the name of Jesus. That's a whole other thing, right? Some of them don't even want to use the name God. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Notice again, it's a person. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. For a person to receive help from whatever addiction they face, and we all have them, they must seek the wisdom of God Himself, the author of life. He's the only one with the wisdom on how to deal with things in the world, how to deal with our sin nature, for example. Not some abstract higher power is going to give us the solution, but the God of the universe is willing to give us his wisdom. So turn again in your Bibles to James 1, verse 5. James 1, 5. We see that wisdom is God's to give. And guess what? The humble person that goes to him and asks for it is going to get it. Just because God is faithful. God's not trying to play a game with us, you know. He's just trying to get us to surrender, to be, to be humble, to say, okay, you know best, Lord, and I don't. I give, you know, mercy, the mercy game. Mercy, 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 I give. Please show me the way in this area like James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Once again, faith is how we please God. Faith leads us to sanctification. And humility, again, is a key, obviously. If someone is unwilling to turn to their God and Creator for the answers, 
well, they're going to be stuck in their own devices that keep failing time after time after time. Like in these programs, you know, many people just go forward, right? One step forward, two step back, you know? And it's because they're relying on the wrong power or the wrong person, namely themselves. We've just seen in Matthew 6, if someone pursues God's kingdom and God's righteousness first, then all things, including supernatural help, are going to be given to them. But that's the thing is people don't want to pursue God first and his kingdom first. They want to pursue him second or third or fourth or not even give him a name at all. And they're going to reap what they sow. God's not going to force anybody, right? But if we do pursue him first, if someone submits in humility and says, all right, God, I need you. I surrender. Show me who Jesus is. Show me what you want me to do. That's the person that has decided, finally, to seek him first. And God can let the, uh, the gates open, so to speak. The same point is made by Jesus in Luke chapter 9. Go to Luke 9, 59. Luke 9, 59. Much better in here, Don. Thank you. <laughs> it's crazy up here with the baking lights up here. We should try putting like a little egg on the thing here and see at the end of class. Luke 9, 59. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. We saw this on Sunday also on the board regarding allowing the dead to bury their own dead. The implication is that we are to allow the spiritually dead to tend to their own. A social self-help program is a perfect example. God doesn't preclude such things from taking place. But we must understand that such programs are not calling upon Him for salvation or deliverance, regardless of their claims. They're not calling upon Him for deliverance, for help. In other words, calling on a higher power is not calling on God. It's funny how people want the blessings of God without giving him credit as the blesser. It's crazy. It's like Zechariah said. If you're going to say you're blessed, but then who blessed you? Where did it come from? Right? What's your source? Is it the universe? Could it be any more impersonal than the universe? Could it be anything less that you can rely on? You don't even know anything about the universe. Forget his character and integrity. I'm talking like he's a person. God is a person. He's not just a power, and he's not just a force. And that reminds me of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Some of you might know, they don't want to make the spirit of God a person, like the Bible says he is. So they call him a force. That way they can go around the issue that there's three in one. God is three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all God. They want to get around that. They don't, want, they, don't, they don't want that. They want to accept some lies, unfortunately, from a bad Bible translation. And uh, they call the Spirit a force. It doesn't get too much more impersonal than that. But when you read Scripture, what do you see? 
The Spirit is called He. He's a person. He's called Jehovah. But people believe what they want to believe and they twist what they want to twist to make their own ideas come true. I was talking to Pastor about that today, actually. Uh, you can make the Bible say whatever you really want it to say. And if you go into the Bible reading it with a certain viewpoint that you want to come out of it, it's funny how you'll find what it says that you like and dismiss what you don't like. And that's where humility comes in, right? You've got to go there with no agenda and be like, Lord, show me the truth. I just want to know more you know, about you and your ways, your righteousness. But again, it's about taking credit away from God and the awesomeness of who he really is. They don't want to give him credit. And they don't want to be accountable to him, as we'll see in a minute. Let's spend the rest of this review diving into Holy Scripture. Again, the series title is just something about his name. There is power in God's name. Those who deny him deny his name. Jeremiah 10.6, Proverbs 18.10, Isaiah 9.6, uh, a whole bunch of Acts verses we're going to get to today. Uh, Romans 10.13, 1 Corinthians 6.11, Philippians 2.9-11, John 14.13-14, Luke 10.17, Mark 16.17, and Matthew 28.18-20. So, first off, turn to Jeremiah 10, verse 6. We'll review some of these scriptures about the power of his name. Jeremiah 10.6 And remember that people that want to avoid calling God by name, they want to avoid accountability. They basically want their cake and eat it too. They want it their way. They want God on their terms. They want God as a sideshow and a contributor. But they don't want to give him credit. And you know why? Because they want to keep the credit for themselves. So when they beat their addiction, people will praise them instead of praising God. You see how subtle creature credit is? I don't want to, I don't want to totally rely on God because when I beat this thing, I want everyone to come look at me and quote-unquote worship me, praise me of how good I am, of how smart I am, etc. All right, again, Jeremiah 10.6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. You are great, and great is your name in might. It's interesting that it doesn't say, you know, great you are in might. Right? It says great is your name in might. On the board, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it. And is safe. What's the strong tower? The Lord or the name of the Lord? Why, why it's his name? I don't know. It's a supernatural thing. That his name carries that much power. Go to Isaiah 9 verse 6. Isaiah 9 6. There's just something about his name. And it's supernatural, make no mistake. Isaiah 9, 6. 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. There's another great one for the Jehovah's Witnesses, that the child, Jesus, is called Eternal Father. I mean, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> why, do you, why do you want to try to make that not true and twist it? It's so obvious. Again, on the board, there's power in God's name. Those who deny him, deny his name. Go to Acts 2, verse 38, and we'll close with our list of verses in Acts, in the book of Acts, about his name. Acts 2, 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 3, verse 6. Acts 3, 6. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Did Peter have the power to make this guy walk? Not in his own ability, right? It was only the name of Jesus that made this guy walk. Jesus wasn't there physically, touching the person. But this guy walked. Look at Acts 3.12. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So again, Acts uh, 3.16, on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus that has strengthened this man that you see and know. Power in the name. Acts 4.12. Look at Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Look at Acts 4.30. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And Acts 8, verse 12. Just a couple more and we'll close. Acts 8, 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, 
they were being baptized, men and women alike. Again, that's what we're going to do at the end of July for a couple people that haven't been baptized yet. But it's in the name of Jesus Christ that it's all done. There's supernatural power in the name. And look at Acts 22, verse 16. Acts 22, 16. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. We know by now it's only through the name of Jesus that uh, we receive forgiveness, right? He's the channel to the Father. He's the one that makes us acceptable to the Father. And somehow, supernaturally by his name, people are healed. People are changed by his name, even though he's not here with us physically. But that's the Spirit of God, isn't it? So rest on that, and uh, I'm sure we'll continue with this on Sunday. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for the simple, wonderful, pure truths in your Word. We thank you for the power of your name and the name of Jesus Christ, your only Son. We thank you for giving him up for us, purchasing our freedom from sin and death once for all for those who have faith in Him. Father, we are eternally grateful. We ask that You bless us all as we go and help us bring Your truth out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of Your Spirit, we pray. Amen.